As a director, Alan Akebourne is acutely aware of the constraints that surround a performance. I asked him if any of these practical concerns affect his approach to writing plays. I need to try and keep the cast sizes down, but I think that's quite a good consideration in that it has a double thing. Yes, economically, management's love five-handers rather than eight-handers, and eight-handers rather than 22-handers, when you probably wouldn't stand a chance in hell of getting it done, except possibly by one of the big national companies, but even then probably not. The other things are that actually economy in theatre is a very good concept to embrace. I will often combine the roles in a story so that one character takes the place of two. I say, oh, if Jack is also the bloke who murdered him, then we've got a double role for this person and it's a much more interesting character to play. I was also intrigued about the visual or physical aspects of a play. I asked whether these were the writer's responsibility or whether they should be left to the director or set designer. I think it is important. This is one of the things I always stress to new writers, is to take responsibility for the visual. It is not enough to have a written text however well written, if you cannot also indicate, you don't have to solve it, indicate what the accompanying visual thing is likely to be. And I always ask the question, is it worth taking the curtain up on that? Is it worth taking up the lights? And what am I going to see? And in some cases you can say nothing's going to be added from anything that's set around it. Yes, we have two armchairs and X will sit down and Y will sit opposite them and there's no reason for them to move at all. In which case... Why don't we send this to the radio and let them do it? Because they can do all that, and we are wasting people's time. Mm. I do think that the physical has great bearing on what happens mm. to a play. And mm. I'm going to give us a, a talk later this week, actually called The Space Between Words, which is really about what happens when people stop talking, maybe say nothing. One of my great favourites, both in comedy and in drama, is, is displacement anger, when, when people are, are extremely angry with their spouse or whatever uh, and proceed to take it out on the wardrobe door because it's something they can deal with and and they pull it off its hinges and it looks to a third party like they've gone completely mad but we in the audience know that his wife has just upset him so much that he's had to pull the wardrobe door off rather than her head. We just say he goes over and pulls the door off the wardrobe and it looks quite bland on the page but uh, guaranteed if you've set it up right and get a belting laugh from the audience who do know what's going on and for a moment feared he was going to do his wife damage but instead he's chosen the wardrobe, thank God. And what about instructions to the actors in situations like this? I wondered about how he treated stage directions and asked him how much you should write in the script. Actors aren't very good on stage directions, and there are some awful ones. I remember some poor juvenile woman who reads blushing, you know, at the brackets. Now, there's very few people who can blush on cue, you know. They're not a lot of help. And sometimes there are stage directions which the author knows what they mean. With sorrow in his heart, but a sad smile on his lips, although all the time knowing that this is the end of their relationship, bracket, is not a lot of help when the word at the end of it is goodbye. I try and suggest economy only when there's something that absolutely needs to be clarified softly when an actor might otherwise choose to shout a line which one instinctively feels shouldn't be shouted. I hate capital letters and I hate underlining because it pre-stresses the line for the actor and italics are even worse than that. So one tries to suggest it through the way it's spoken and the situation around it. But practical things like he enters with a suitcase which is very heavy is quite handy rather than getting halfway through the script and then finally, oh, your suitcase is still here. I think, oh, damn, and the stage manager thinks, oh, he should have brought a suitcase on with him. 
stage directions are, are often to do with time elapsing. You believe time's elapsed on stage in a way that you don't in real life. I mean, you, you're quite prepared to watch a couple of characters t- speaking, as it were, for three minutes together and then character A is saying, oh, look, I must go. I've been here half an hour. And you can sort of believe that. But there's a sort of time that's less than that when there's some part of you says, oh, no, you haven't. And there's another part of you that says it seems like it. <laughs> Which, and somewhere in between, there's a time when half an hour is fine. And that's something you can only learn from experience, really, time, elapsed time. Time speed is, is interesting because it has the effect, at least this is my theory, that if real time and what I call foyer time, that is the time outside the auditorium, are more or less closely matched, that if your play runs, say, two hours dead, and the characters on stage, actually, their existence is seen glimpsed between 8 o'clock in the evening and 10 o'clock, then you have sort of one for one. You have real time matching stage time. And this has the effect of a close-up lens on a camera, really. You are synchronistically breathing with the actors, with the characters as an audience. And so everything they do is in your time. And it's quite extraordinary. If they do turn the page of a book, you know, it's in real time. Now, the other end of the extreme is a play which takes place over 15 years in, say, four scenes. And you are, in a sense, moving at a tremendously much faster time. And that is the effect of a long-range lens on a play. You are looking at it, as it were, from a slight distance and watching a family grow up and disintegrate or whatever. Something happened, a person building a business that later folds or whatever. The real rule is, is not to mix these because you are one minute breathing in rhythm with the actor and the next minute you're galloping across and saying, good dogs, that, that, was that the end of the Hundred Years' War already? And, and there's quite a, quite a shock and you get a sort of time sickness really. Ooh, where are we now? Now having said that, of course, it's a great rule to be broken and all rules of playwriting one location is very good, but you know how many good plays are in one location? Not all. Quite a lot aren't. How many plays are in one time? Shakespeare didn't seem to have any time. It moved as it felt like it. It makes very little difference to time, although occasionally you think, good, 40 years since I was here as a boy, and you think, good heavens, really? <laughs> but mostly it, it is a, it's a safe rule to say, decide your time frame early on when you're writing. How short a time can I place this in? Can I tell this story over apparently 24 hours? You know, this, this is obviously the, the, the sort of the purest thing. Can he and she have lived out that expansive relationship that I need, or do I need six months, do I need six years? Once you've made that decision, stick with it. But a time frame, I think, is a decision to be made by an author quite early on. And as I say, I always try and make it the briefest you can. But if your story just won't be contained within that time, and sometimes I, don't, I mean, it, it, it just won't. The, the things have to happen. The person has to grow out of whatever and into something else, and you do need all that canvas. The start point is very important because if you start too early, you're spending hours, you know, wait, waiting for something to happen. You start too late, you then have to bundle up all that pre-information, and that's another 
great art of playwriting is dissembling information and somehow not making it look as if you're doing it. Nothing worse than giving sort of like the phone directory in the first ten lines of a play. And you think, oh, goodness, I can't remember all these people. And you go through your programme, not in there either, because half of them are dead or, you know, moved on and aren't going to be part of the action anyway. So there is a happy medium where you, you actually start the story and you hit the ground running and the bits you need to know you can weave in. It's telling people salient things that they will sometimes just register and and unimportant things you can tell them once and important things always tell them twice at least if if you want them to remember them because it's quite a lot to remember from the open university for more information go to www.open.ac.uk forward slash use